0: This is the Foot in the Max podcast for the week of Monday, August twenty second. episode 64 of the Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. We are Twin Brothers and this is a weekly baseball podcast. Uh, Paul, I counted up the minutes uh, that we've been on the podcast. As, 650. As teased from uh, last week. So your guess was over 400 hours that we had been on the, on the air. It turned out to be 56. Uh, 3,370 minutes. Wow. That was, uh, that was five minutes of my, my life this past week was counting. (laughs) Yeah. As a point of clarification, I forgot to divide by 60. So I was calculating the minutes, but even, so it wasn't totally off, uh, but even 400 divided by 60 is six. So your guess would have been six hours. Yeah. Not your best effort there. I'll come up with some explanation. All right, well, we've been uh, yeah on the air for 56 hours. We're getting close to the 10,000 that Malcolm Gladwell says that we need. <laughs> uh, I don't have a Nelly fun fact right now. Thanks to him for our intro song. By the end of the podcast, I'll have something because hmm. uh, we can't break that streak. So thanks, Nelly, for the intro song, and uh, I'll look for uh... a... <laughs> A fun fact, probably during TWTW. We should contact uh, Nelly or his agent to see if they have experienced any sort of uptake in sales since we've started doing the Nelly I don't think we fact. should alert them to the fact that we use the song, because yeah, it's probably, probably a not legal. Uh, preview of this week's episode, really excited for it. Um, we have a couple guests. The more famous of the two uh, is a writer for the Japan Times, going international this week. Jason Cascre uh, is a baseball writer over there, and... Uh, I interviewed him to get to know Shohei Otani uh, a little bit better. So a few weeks ago, I mentioned him as a blurb in the beginning. Uh, He's the best hitter and pitcher, uh, or one of the best uh, hitters and pitchers in all of Japan. Only 22 years old, and uh, somewhat of a uh, sensation over there, and is becoming uh, more famous over here uh, because of the fact that he does both so well. So I got to interview Jason... um, and just to hear more about what baseball is like in Japan was really exciting. So that's later in the podcast. We also have another guest, uh, our friend David from Chicago. I think it's his fifth time on the podcast. Uh, he is on to have a recap conversation, our first A Foot in the Box summer flicks. Uh, we watched Angels on the Outfield last Monday. And so we will recap that movie with David later as well. Should be a fun podcast. But first... Our banter, uh, Matt Bush update. Uh, This past week, two innings pitched, no hits, five strikeouts. So he's back to his dominant self. There were a couple articles written about him Uh, every month or so. There's uh, some new articles written about just his story. And so this week, the Tampa Bay Times covered him. Roger Mooney uh, wrote an article uh, entitled, Victim in Matt Bush DUI Crash, Trying to Make Best of What He Has. Uh, And so Roger wrote this story uh, covering the guy that Matt Bush ran over when he got the DUI five years ago that put him in jail. Uh, Tony Tufano is his name. He is now 77 years old. So like I said, yeah, he was the guy that uh, Matt Bush ran over. He was on a motorcycle. Um, His wife had actually died of Crohn's disease 10 months before the accident. Hmm. So it was a pretty sad uh, story. Tufano had 10 of the 12 ribs on his right side broken and two on his left. Were also broken, eight fractured vertebrae, mm. his right lung collapsed, fractured right cheekbone, fractured left shoulder blade, and a fractured left hand, along with bleeding on his brain, mm. uh, according to Roger Mooney in the article. Uh, so just a terrible injury. Uh, he now has to take 26 pills a day wow. um, and is just um, yeah struggling um, to kind of live each day. Uh, he did publicly uh, forgive Bush 14 months after the accident. So that'd be about three or four years ago now, Uh, but he is still affected by the incident. Bush, I didn't really know this, but Bush has really strict regulations with the Rangers. Uh, No drinking of any alcohol, no driving of any sort, and he can't carry more than $20 Hmm. on him at any point. Um, And he lives with his dad in Texas when they're home, and then he lives with that guy the Rangers hire. Um, Josh Hamilton, guru. Yep, the... The prisoner whisperer. Um, so a couple a couple quotes from Tufano that I I thought were um, enlightening. Uh, this is him talking about Bush. His life went on. It was a blessing that he was in prison. He was fortunate. The right people got a hold of him. I wish him well, but I don't want to meet him. How ironic is it that his life was turned around, which is good, but now my life was turned into something bad. When Bush was in jail, he had the chance to think about his life, reflect on his choices. If only I got another chance. I didn't get those choices. Uh, lastly, Tufano says he's a baseball fan. He watches games on MLB network and, uh, he saw Bush pitch a few weeks ago and said he didn't really have an opinion of what he watched. Haven't, so Tufano and Bush haven't met in person since the uh, accident. Does not sound like it. Yeah. Uh, so I'll link to that in the podcast episode page. Uh, read it if you're interested. Um, but Bush continues to pitch pretty well. And, um, no, no flare-ups this year. No incidents, uh, so that's good. Paul, you got any? Uh, yeah, on a lighter, <laughs> yeah, a lighter, little bit lighter, lighter note. Baseball. Uh, the Saber Conference was last weekend. We did not go. Nope. Maybe at some point in the future we can. But it's the sixth time they've held it uh, in Massachusetts, and it's just kind of a meeting of the minds of a lot of baseball experts. And I, I feel like coming out of that, the thing that I've heard over and over again, people talk about is uh, the uptick we're seeing in home runs this year. Mm-hmm. It seemed like almost every outlet that, uh, that I follow baseball perspectives, fan graphs, even Dan Bernstein, you know, Chicago sports talk personality wrote pieces about, um, uh, the home run uptick this week and made me think that we need to get our friend Alan Nathan back on the podcast. Yeah. So, uh, I think in the next couple of weeks we'll be reaching out to Alan again and get him on for those that, that aren't aware. Um, There have been over 20% more home runs hit this year than last year. Yeah, the second most in history outside of 2001, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. And uh, Commissioner Manfred went on record in July saying that um, it wasn't due to juice balls, that he thought it was just kind of a change in the way guys were swinging, and um, that doesn't seem to really fly. It's such a dramatic increase in such a short amount of time that that doesn't make a ton of sense, so... I tend to think it's the balls, but um, but we should uh, have Alan Nathan on and be the yeah. If it it is the balls, that could like undo Manfred as a commissioner. Yeah, I read a bit of Alan Nathan gave a presentation uh, at Saber, and he said uh, the he looked at exit velocity of line drives and home runs, and he said the increase in velocity on home runs would indicate a uh, a bouncier ball. I believe it's called the coefficient of restitution, um, uh, but the exit velocity on line drives hasn't changed that much, and so it's kind of a puzzle. And uh, based on his presentation, it doesn't seem like it's a real easy like the balls are juiced. But I don't really see another viable reason. Uh, students are back in Champagne. We didn't mention that. So, uh, but Alan, I guess, doesn't teach any classes, so he's not any busier. Yep. Yeah, I'll shoot him an email this week. Awesome. Well, speaking of Manfred, uh, he made a lot of uh, news this past week uh, at the owners' meetings. Uh, Apparently, they happen quarterly. Hmm. So at the owners' meetings, uh, he kind of walked owners through how the game had been changing over the past 50 years and talked about some ways that baseball could position itself to move into the future uh, in a positive direction. Let me guess. More offense, shorter games. Faster pace of play. So not shortened games. That's kind of a misconception, um, that I think he's trying to break, but he threw out a lot of things that he thinks, uh, he wants to put in place. Uh, so Paul, give me your opinion on these, on these things. Okay. Uh, he wants to limit the number of shifts. Are you for that or against that? Thumbs down. Against. Okay. Yeah, I would also be against it. Uh, the batting average of balls in play in 2000 was 300. Uh, if shifts were effective, you'd think that, had gone, that would have went down, mm-hmm. but it's 300 in, in 2016 as well. So it doesn't seem like shifts are affecting balls put in play that much. Right. Uh, they are dramatically increased, though. So um, in 2011, there were 2,400 shifts. In 2016, we're on pace for 28,000. So it's like a crazy increase. So Manfred, I guess, his argument might be, you know, BABIP's the same. It's not... Effective, So why do we do that? You no, know, I can see that maybe. Uh, I, I mean, I think like you you just break up the monotony of a game. Like going to a game with my wife, who's not a huge baseball fan, when she sees the whole defense shift, there's something interesting going on. Like That's it's true. it's some sort of strategy that a non-baseball enthusiast can like tangibly see happening on the field. Yep, I agree. Uh, next one, relief pitchers. Manfred is interested in limiting the amount of of relief pitchers in a baseball game. Agree. You're for that. I'm for it. That's a huge shift. Yeah, people don't like it. I like it. How would how would you practically do that? Uh, I think there should be some uh, limit to the amount of batters that a pitcher faces. So like a, a pitcher would have to face a minimum of two batters? Yes. Or in one inning, you couldn't bring in two specialists. So, Jeez. How do you define specialist? So you couldn't... If it was a lefty righty lefty coming up, you couldn't bring in a lefty, take him out, bring in a righty, wow. and then that, take, like you would have. It's super hard to monitor, really. like reverse splits and stuff like that. I mean, you can't. I, my suggestion would be you can't bring in uh, two pitchers in an inning to face no more than one batter. That's kind of complicated. I would just, if I was going to do it, and I don't think that they should, I would just say you have to face a minimum of two batters, and I think that would really limit. Uh, like the appeal of a, a left-handed specialist or like a side-armed right-hander. Uh, because rarely do you, like, put stack your lefties together. Like Murphy and Harper, that's rare to have. Maybe. But it would just get complicated, especially to explain that rule to, like, kids. It's like, oh, you can, you know, you can only have one pitcher that faces one hitter in an inning. It's just too confusing. But it's I It's mean, too, too gimmicky. I agree with Manfred that you can't – I've heard him talk before, like, part of the appeal – We've talked about this on the podcast too. Part of the appeal of baseball in the late innings is like the comeback and the rally and things happening. And when you have bullpens that are historically great year after year and aren't giving up any runs, it's just not. That's taking away a very important entertainment factor with baseball. So you have to do stuff. Yeah, help. no, I'm I'm more, I would not do it. But, I'm, you know, it seems like a better idea than like the shifts or the, these other ones. Uh, but I just would make it a pretty simple rule. Mm. I wouldn't, wouldn't make it complicated. What else you got? Uh, pitch clock. Uh, they've done this in the minors for a few years now. Or maybe just a couple. Like last year they started it. Uh it seems to be working well down there, according to Manfred. Uh, it would be a 20-second clock in between pitches. The pitcher would have to throw the ball. Clock would be like you know, somewhere out in the outfield. Um, what What's the average we're looking at now? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I would guess maybe like just a few seconds above that yeah i probably would be against that okay yeah i mean getting back to the name of our podcast foot in the box they just would monitor that more closely mm-hmm. that's they totally not enforce that this year mm-hmm. all right the last one and the one that manfred says is the best chance to, to uh, go into effect next year is shrinking the strike zone so raising it from the bottom of the knee cap to the middle of the knee are you for that For that, but I just feel like... and we've been talking about that for a while. And the strike zone is what it is, but they, like, umps don't call. The technical strike zone is the bottom of the kneecap right now. I know, but like... So if you moved it up, I think you'd see a dramatic difference in the way umpires call games. You really think there'd be a dramatic difference? Oh, yeah. Hmm. I mean, we're talking like three inches. Like, if we had robots calling balls and strikes, I think you would see that. But when you have humans who are used to calling a certain pitch, a ball or a strike. I just don't think it would be, it would be dramatic. I think in the back of umpires minds on a low pitch, they would think maybe think about that. I mean, you just hold them to a higher standard. Potentially. You would, you know, after games where they call a lot of pitches that used to be strikes, strikes, even if the rules changed, you would just say, Hey, stop doing that. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm for that one. I'm against uh, the pitch clock as well. Um, But yeah, that was a pretty radical thing for Manfred. I'll link to an article by Bob Nightingale. He kind of broke the story in the USA Today. Nightingale says if if any of these changes are implemented, it would be the most radical rule change since baseball reduced the number of balls to four in 1889 to constitute a walk. So I guess it used to be more than four. Uh, Also the DH in 1973, that scene is a pretty big. Didn't they change how high the mound was as well? Yeah, he didn't mention that one, but yeah, I would think that would be a pretty big one. A couple other things for me before we get started with our segments. Uh, The Braves called up Dansby Swanson on Wednesday. Uh, We saw him play against um, our fighting Illini last May, so I guess just a little more than a year ago. He was playing here um, as part of the College World Series. He dominated, Um, so I'm kind of rooting for him. It's fun to see him get called up. That's kind of a neat story because he grew up 30 minutes north of Atlanta. Um, and so he, when he, uh, got called up, he just went to his, like, parents' house. Hmm. So I was kind of imagining what that would be like, like sleeping in your house before the house you grew up in before you, you play your first big league game. He also couldn't get a hold of his family, I guess, right away. His mom was at church, wouldn't answer her phone. His dad was at Costco and then his sister was somewhere else, but he, like, he couldn't get a hold of them for a few hours and he had to tell his agent to, like, make, um, the connection with them uh, yeah, a bit odd on the timing his numbers in the in a double-a weren't that great his average wasn't great but his on-base percentage was decent like 350 um, I suppose yeah he's only 22 um, the last position player to be drafted number one and make the big leagues next year was Darren Erstad thought that was interesting 1996 it's been a long time the so Harper was he was drafted and then did he played a full year in the minors yeah Must've. Uh, last thing I have, Nori, Nori Aoki, an uh, outfielder for the Mariners, uh, has had uh, a really good last couple weeks. He just got called in from AAA um, right after the All-Star break. Has an on-base percentage of three fifty five, but that's not why I'm bringing him up. The reason that he's pointing to for his uh, recent success is changing his batting helmet, which I thought was interesting. He's going from the one-flap to the two-flap. He told uh, Shannon Dreyer of ESPN Seattle, uh, when I was in AAA, having both of my ears closed kind of helped me focus more. It's different even between having one closed and both of them closed. It's It makes it easier to concentrate. Hmm. Um, so it kind of made me curious if like thinking through other uh, alterations to a player's like exterior, like their glove or helmets or elbow guard that would increase their performance. The only one I could think of, A.J. Perzinski started wearing new contacts back when he was with the White Sox that he claimed made him see better. Um, but I couldn't really think of any that's other... That's an actual change. Right. There's no way this Aoki thing is a legitimate reason well, why he's he claiming that. He's claiming it does, so... I wouldn't put those in the same category. Maybe something... If you have heard of uh, something like that, you can contact us at footinthebox at gmail.com. Or Tweedettus? Yeah, the only thing, uh, only thing I had, uh, intrigued by the second wild card in the American League. Right now the Orioles uh, have that secured, uh, but there's a few teams chasing them that intrigue me. The first is the Mariners. Uh, they haven't made the playoffs since 2001. They had the longest non-playoff streak in baseball. 2001 was actually Ichiro's rookie year, where he also won, uh, along with rookie of the year, he also won the MVP mm-hmm. I didn't realize he hadn't made the playoffs since then with the Mariners. Yeah, I guess that's right. So they are 66 and 56 going into today, just one game back of the second wild card in September. They play six games against the angels, three against the twins and four against the athletics. Pretty easy schedule. Uh, so a lot of people are op- optimistic about them and their chances. Uh, second one is the Yankees. So I believe they're four games back. Uh, Gary Sanchez, uh, catcher that they brought up, uh, a lot of people think he's the catcher of the future for the Yankees, good prospect. He tweeted after Saturday night's win against the Angels, uh, in quotes, experts say we have no chance to make the playoffs. Well, we may just be young and naive enough to disagree. Hashtag not giving up. That would be a great story. I looked up the record since Arod retired or did whatever he did, released, and I expected uh, to see a better record, but they're just 4-4 four and four since then and uh, two of those wins are against the Angels, who are terrible. They do play the Mariners and the Orioles this upcoming week, so if they're going to make ground up, this is the week to do it. Last team that I'm most intrigued by is the Royals. Yeah. They're uh, they're back in the thick of things, just four and a half games back. Uh, They had won seven games in a row heading into Sunday. Not sure what they're doing right now, but uh, seven in a row, 10 of 11, and uh, it's just crazy when you count them out for sure. They... um, they come raging back. Yeah, I saw that too. The, the Royals they've won seven in a row, and uh, I started like looking at some of their stats. Have you seen the year that Danny Duffy's having? He's like a Cy Young contender, right? I mean, if I were voting today, if I had a vote, uh, I would probably. Vote. He's second in ERA in, in the American League, first in WHIP, and third in strikeouts per nine innings. Like he's he's better than Chris Sale, and almost better than Corey Kluber. I don't. Yeah, it's just I, I would have never thought that he would have that type of a year yeah what makes it even more interesting he's a free agent after next year so he's been a pretty below average pitcher for the majority of his career now he almost has like a jake areata type situation where he's going to get paid a ton based on a year and a half of solid performance all right uh, let's get on to baseball on tv paul made us watch the x-files uh paul did you Actually watched the episode this week. I did. For context, each week we look at a TV episode that has some baseball theme to it. And last week, Paul suggested we watch the X Files, and then didn't actually watch it because he thought it was only a 20 minute show. I watched the first 15 minutes of it. Somewhat ridiculously, did not think it was an hour show. Yeah, I had never seen the X Files before. First time. This is season six, episode 19. The Unnatural was the name of the episode. Um, Mulder, who's an FBI agent uh, uncovers a story about a black baseball player in the 1940s. He's he's a minor league player. He's playing in Roswell, New Mexico. In this episode, um, if you're familiar with the X files, you probably know where this is going. The player whose name is Josh Exley. It's a fantastic name. In my opinion, Mm -hmm. did a great job with that. Uh, he's tabbed as being like another Jackie Robinson, uh, black player, really good. I think he's got somewhere close to 60 home runs in a season. Um, however, during the episode, we find out that he is, in fact, an alien. Um, he possesses the power, uh, along with other alien aliens in his tribe, to transfigure himself into human beings. And they can choose what type of human being they want. So he transformed himself into a really good baseball player. But he's a good alien. He just loves baseball. He has no ill will towards human beings However, when other aliens find out about kind of his high profile and the fact that he's such a good baseball player, they grow pretty uneasy and they actually kill him to prevent, um, uh, their cover being blown as mm-hmm. aliens infiltrating the human race. So, uh, it was an interesting watch. I'm never going to watch the X-Files again, but yeah, it seems kind of like a word show. I know it has kind of a cult following. A lot of people like it. Uh, I wasn't a fan. Yeah, according to one, there was a police officer that followed Josh Exley, and that's how they figured it out. According to him, a lot of the greats are aliens. Mickey Mantle, I believe he referenced, so maybe a story we can follow up on. Absolutely. The clip we're going to play from the X-Files is Detective Mulder talking about why he loves uh, box scores so much.
1: I can't believe it. You've been reading about baseball this whole time.
0: I'm reading the box scores, Scully. You'd like it. It's like the Pythagorean theorem for jocks. It distills all the chaos and action of any game in the history of all baseball games into one
1: tiny, perfect, rectangular sequence of numbers. I can look at this box, and I can recreate exactly what happened on some sunny summer day back in 1947. It's like the numbers talk to me. They, they comfort me. They tell me that even though lots of things can change, some things do remain the
0: same. It's... Boring. Alder,
1: can I ask you a personal question?
2: Of course
1: not. Did your mother ever tell you to go outside and play?
0: The article that I chose for Out of the Box this week is by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus, A great author. Also does a podcast called Effectively Wild that I highly recommend. My my go-to baseball podcast. Outside Uh, of our own. Yeah, outside of our own. He wrote a piece called uh, Meet the Guy Who Struck Out 25 in Nine Innings sort of Pete. have you heard about this i saw him tweet about it. i haven't read the article so uh edwin diaz a pitcher for the mariners has the all-time record for strikeouts in a nine-inning stretch so obviously the record for a starting pitcher in one game is 20 strikeouts um, you know Kerry wood roger clemens randy johnson cup I think there were five guys that have, have hit 20. But what we're talking about here is, uh, mostly relief pitchers, or it could be a starter doing it, you know, over the course of a couple games, but in a nine inning stretch. So Edwin Diaz, pitcher for the Mariners, has that record, 24 strikeouts. He did it earlier this year. Ken Giles, uh, had the record before Diaz with 23. Um, and a pitcher from, uh, the Braves minor league system, Jacob Webb is close to breaking that record. Um, he has 22 strikeouts through eight innings. As the headline indicates, he in fact did strike out 25 straight for the Danville Braves uh, in nine innings, but those nine innings were interrupted by a call up to another affiliate, hmm. where, where he didn't strike out as many guys. So he technically hasn't gone nine straight innings with over 24 strikeouts. He he is an interesting uh, story, though. 23 year old righty went to a small Christian school in Kansas. 18th rounder. So not a high profile guy. And even his delivery, you know, is not real. It's pretty normal. He throws, you know, reasonably hard 92, 93. Um, but, uh, there's no real explanation for why he's striking out so many guys, but he, he has a chance to break, uh, Edwin Diaz's record. He needs to strike out three guys, obviously. in in his next inning, he hasn't pitched since, uh, Tuesday. So I will be checking his, uh, baseball reference page, um, at work the next couple of days or maybe, maybe he's even pitched today I haven't checked it yet today So, um, it, it did make me look at a few other guys Pete do you know what the highest single season Rate is for strikeouts per 9 uh, I would guess Randy Johnson mm, Pitches for the Cubs Currently pitched Oh Chapman Chapman had a strikeout per 9 of 17.67 In 2014 What's Diaz's this year Diaz's uh, 16.7 Okay uh, the Cubs, Carlos, former Cubs, Carlos Marmol is seventh on that list. His 2010 season was at 15.9, which was a surprise to me. Uh, so Jacob Webb, minor league for the Braves is, is close to, be, uh, breaking Edwin Diaz's record. Cool. Uh, before I get to mine, I have my Nelly fun fact. Uh, he has a, uh, line of cologne, uh, apple bottom, apple bottoms. Uh, you can buy a bottle for $60 on Amazon. Wow. Okay, my article this week uh, comes from MLB.com. Mike Petriello uh, does a good job of covering uh, a lot of uh, more complicated stats, a lot of StatCast-type stuff. Uh, this one, though, I really enjoyed. Um, title of the article is, Amid Great Season, Bryant Still Has One Weakness. article is about Chris Bryant, Cubs... Uh, third baseman slash outfielder. The article looks into why uh, Bryant has the highest OPS to the pull field of any hitter and the lowest OPS to the opposite field of any hitter. Uh, Petriello looks at uh, his scouting report. Baseball America said that Bryant had a uh, Mike Piazza-like ability to hit the ball to the opposite field with power. Uh, so Bryant came up with the reputation of, you know, a good hitter at all fields, can hit the ball at the right field with power. Uh, last year, uh, five of his numbers were to right field, and he had a 529 slugging to right field. So pretty good numbers. Um, this year, though, uh, Bryant um, has seen that drop to 313, his OPS to 313 to the opposite field. That's the lowest in all of baseball. Uh, to kind of act that, though, his OPS to left field, the pole side is the highest of any hitter at 1.523, which is pretty absurd. Anything above 1 with it for OPS is considered hmm. great, but he's got a 1.523 to left field this year. Um, and it's all part of Brian's new approach. Uh, he's, he's cut down his strikeout percentage from 30% last year to 23% this year, and his slugging percentage has gone up 70 points. So overall, he's uh, a better hitter this year. Uh, kind of tweaks and things in a swing with uh, John melee the hitting coach with the Cubs but he just hasn't hit the ball to, to right field much at all this year at Wrigley field especially he has just two hits to the right third of the field um, seven hits on the road uh, so Petriello wonders why defenses don't shift Bryant in the outfield uh, infields uh, routinely shift Bryant Second baseman will come over to the short side of second, but um, outfielders have pretty much played him straight away. Part of me wonders, like, have pitchers tried to pitch him inside more this year? It's a good question. He didn't go into that, um, but yeah, you would you would think maybe, although he's adjusted, so maybe he'll uh, see more stuff on the outside corner. Defies the age-old uh, logic of or the wisdom advice to stay up the middle and to the other side. Well, I mean, I can... he, this is, this is just the right third of the field. So he still could go up the middle quite a bit. Yeah. He hits, I mean, on Saturday night, he hit a bomb to center field at cores, but this is, this is to right field. Yeah. So they kind of break it into thirds, the outfield. Uh, yeah, I'll link to that in the podcast episode. Check it out. Good stuff from MLB.com. All right. Next up we have TWTW.
3: When you can put some of those categories, you know, you got your OBPS and all that and the VORPs, when they put in TWTW TW and then interface those numbers with TWTW TW, under that category, then you might have something cooking. What well, 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 TW is... Yeah, what is that? That's the will to win.
0: All right, for TWTW TW, this week, I'm looking at the Cubs pitching this year. They have been fantastic this year. They lead all of baseball by a long shot in ERA, uh, 3.13. That's a full run, better than league average. And uh, the Nationals are the next closest at uh, 3.36. So they've been really, really good. Um, But all season, I've kind of wondered, or I've kind of been skeptical of their dominance. Um, You know, they strike me as a very good staff, especially their starters, but not a... Like, great starting staff. Pete, does this jive with your uh, perception of the... They have been great. Right. So I would say maybe, like, a few weeks ago it turned from, oh, they're probably not going to be, you know, they're going to come back to earth Mm -hmm. to, like, oh, they're legitimately this good. Yeah. Uh, Two stats jumped out to me when I started looking at the Cubs pitching so far this year. Uh, BAPIP and ERA minus FIP. So BABIP is uh, batting average in balls in play, and ERA minus FIP is simply taking uh, teams' ERA minus their fielding fielding independent pitching. Uh, The Cubs have dominated in both. So the Cubs have the best BABIP or the lowest at 2.53, and that's almost 30 points better than the number two and over 40 points better than league average. So teams are getting less hits on balls in play than every other team in baseball. Good defense, though. Right. Uh, which is where I'm headed. Uh, The Cubs also have the greatest discrepancy between their ERA and their FIP, um, with their ERA being 70 points better than what their FIP is. Again, they're really unique in this. The next closest team is the Rangers, with a discrepancy of .37. So, as I mentioned, the Cubs are at 70. So it's a pretty big gap there. And so what does this tell us? And as you mentioned, the Cubs' defense is amazing. I think that's kind of the main takeaway. You know, as the name fielding independent pitching would suggest FIP attempts to remove fielding from assessing a pitcher's performance, um, with the thought being that a pitcher can't control, um, his defense. And so when you think about this, you have to attribute a lot of the Cubs pitching dominance to its stellar defense this year. Um, you know, if there's a large difference between a team's era and their FIP, it's defense is likely really good or really bad. And, um, Uh, We've talked about this before, but the Cubs' advanced fielding numbers are off the charts. Uh, They lead baseball by a wide margin in defensive run saves, uh, largely due to um, Hayward and Addison Russell. They're also number one in uh, defensive war, according to Fangraphs. So just a really, really good defense. And I think the disclaimer here is that even with an average defense, I think the Cubs staff would be really good. I just don't think they would be uh, the number one. They wouldn't have the number one ERA in all of baseball. Um, they're fifth in FIP, so it's not like their pitchers have been middle of the pack on their own. Um, and they're number one in generating soft contact, um, so they are good. I just don't think they're, you know, historically great or even um, way better than say the Nationals. Do you um, know who has the best ERA of any pitcher in the National League? Uh, Kyle Hendricks. Yep. Wow. Because we just reached a point where uh, Kershaw is no longer eligible. Hmm. Whatever the amount of innings is. Yep. Uh. So Hendricks is the lead now. Yeah. What What's interesting in doing some research? Uh, teams who have a high discrepancy between their ERA and their FIP tend to regress the next season. So in 2013, the Reds led all of baseball with the highest discrepancy between, the, between those two. The Orioles in 2014 and the Cardinals last year, and each of those teams moved from being. An upper echelon staff in ERA to being more in the middle of the pack the next year. So it will be interesting to see what happens with the Cubs. Um, You know, a lot of their position players will probably stay the same. Well, all their starters are under contract next year as well. Right. So you might not see as big of a drop there, but maybe attribute a little bit of luck to to their dominance so far this year. Yeah, that's got me thinking. The Cubs this offseason are going to have so few moves. I mean, the bullpen is like the only area that you could see movement. Well, beside their president of baseball operations moving to yeah, another. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think Theo's going to leave at the end of the year. That's my prediction. Okay, well, that was TWTW. Next up, we have Sounds of the Game. All right, so this week on Sounds of the Game, Paul Tyler Naquin. Am I saying mm-hmm. that correctly? Naquin. Yep. Outfielder for the Indians, hit a inside-the-park walk-off home run on Friday night. Many people are saying it's the best moment of the 2016 season so far. Uh, He is the fifth player to hit a walk-off inside-the-park homer since 2000. And so for this week's Sounds of the Game, I'm simply going to play all five of those. So before each one, I'll just uh, mention the player and the team that he Hit it against. Uh, so first up, um, we'll go in reverse order. So starting in the year 2000, August 27th, 2000, Bobby Abreu for the Phillies hit his walk-off inside the Parker against the Giants. Uh, so here's that clip. Pretty well hit to center field.
1: And it is off the glove of Murray. Watch Bobby. It could be an inside the park.
0: Okay, so that was uh, Bobby Abreu, and actually for each one I timed how fast I got her on the bases on my iPhone, so it's not exact, but for that one uh, I've got 14.46 seconds, which is the fastest of any of these, Um, so I'll give the time for each one as well after they do it. Uh, The next one is August 20th, 2001. It's Ken Griffey Jr. playing for the Reds against the St. Louis Cardinals.
1: center field. Edmonds back. Warning track. It is off the wall. Griffey around second. He's going to third. Robinson picks it up. They're going to send him. Here comes the throw. How about this? It's over. Inside the park.
0: Okay, so Griffey is the slowest, actually. Or he's, sorry, he's the second slowest. Uh, he got around the bases uh, 15.98 seconds. Uh, he uh, thought it was a home run, so he kind of pimped it initially. Uh, the next one, Ray Sanchez of the Rays against the Colorado Rockies in 2004. This
1: is June 11th. Do up in the 11th if Shaq can get him to the 11th. Looping liner to right, on comes Burnitz, can't get it, and it goes by him. And he falls down. Sanchez on his way right to second. Freeman up with the ball. He fires it in offline, and Sanchez is going to score. An inside-the-park home run for Ray Sanchez. And again, in an extra innings, the Rockies lose it 8-7. to seven.
0: Uh, so Ray is the slowest at 16.06 seconds. Uh, he kind of stopped at third because he thought he would have to stop, but then kept on going when it was a bad throw. Uh, so that's why his was so slow. Uh, the next one is 2013. We've actually talked about this one before. Paul Angel Pagan of mm-hmm. the uh, Giants hit it against uh, the Colorado Rockies again. Uh, and this is actually uh, it's the second fastest. Uh, 14.74 for Angel Pagan. Pagan hits one
1: high and deep to right. dire back. It is off the bottom of the wall, and it kicks away from everybody. Pagan is being waved in. Here's the throw to the Pagan.
0: Okay, that was uh, May 25th, 2013. Uh, the last one is from last Friday night. Tyler Naquin uh, with a home run. I don't have a time, so I guess I'll time it, time it live here on the podcast. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Tyler Naquin hits a walk-off against the Toronto Blue Jays. He fires.
1: A swing and a drive to deep right. Saunders at the wall! It hits off the top of the wall! Naquin's around second! He's on his way to third! He'll try to score! Here's the throw! Out of time!
0: Okay, so I have Naquin clocked at 15.48 seconds. Uh, so that means in order, these last five, the fastest, uh, first, Bobby Abreu, didn't know he had that speed, uh, at 14.46. From what I recall, he had several 30, 30 seasons early in his career. Yeah. Uh, Angel Paganda is next at 14.74, uh, and then Naquin at 15.48 and then, Griffey at 15.98, and Ray Sanchez at 16.06. So, Paul, how fast do you think we could run the bases? That's my question. I think I could definitely do it in under 20. Maybe maybe like 18.5. I'm willing to challenge you. There's a baseball field across the street. I say after we record this, go tweet out the video, see who wins. Sure. Let's do it. All right, so we'll tweet that out. We'll tweet that out. I think I can beat the slowest. I think I can beat Ray Sanchez's 16.06. My favorite thing about Naquins was that like half the dugout for the Indians was on the field before like he got halfway home. Yeah, it was a pretty cool video highlight. Uh, so go look at our Twitter for that. All right, so that was Sounds of the Game. Next up, we have our first interview with Jason Cascray. We are talking to him about Shohei Otani, the biggest baseball sensation of all time. This week's guest on the podcast is Jason Kaskre, who writes for the Japan Times, covers baseball over there. Uh, How are you doing, Jason? Good. How are you? Doing well. So it's 8.30 p.m. here. What time
2: is it in Japan? It is 10.33 in the morning. Uh, Yeah, 10.33 in the morning on Saturday morning.
0: Okay. Uh, do you know the Olympic outcomes before I do?
2: Um, no, I don't think it depends. I have heard, heard NBC's delaying everything, though, so probably. Yeah. Yeah. But it's on live here, so.
0: Yeah, and baseball is back in the next Olympics, so that's that's topical.
2: Yeah, people. Japan's pretty excited about that.
0: Well, didn't bring you on to talk about baseball in the 2020 Olympics. Um, thanks for joining us. Um, I actually heard you on uh, another podcast, Effectively Wild, about six weeks ago. Uh, They had you on to discuss Shohei Otani. Uh, For those that haven't heard about Otani, he's a 22-year-old that plays uh, in the Pacific League in Japan. Um, He is one of the best pitchers and hitters in all of baseball. Last year, he led all of his league in the ERA with a 2.24. And this year, uh, his hitting has really taken off. He has a slash line of 3.46. 457 and 659, 18 home runs in just 74 games, uh, and he's got a 2.02 ERA this year. Uh, and top it off, 100, struck out 140 batters in 116 innings. Uh, so, Jason, I'm sure you've been asked this a lot, but what's it like uh, to watch this guy and cover this guy? Uh, seems like kind of a sens- uh, sensation.
2: Yeah, it's quite amazing to to watch Otani because, I mean, I was here. I was here when Darvish was here and I was here and Tanaka was pitching here. So it's it's a bit of a phenomenon just like those two, but then with an added level because he's he was always flirting with 160 KM, breaking the NPV speed velocity record, and he's hitting, which is crazy, and he's hitting even better than he has hit before, and he's pitching so well. So it's quite amazing to see him play and see the reactions people have to him because it's – it's a bit of a phenomenon, even more so probably globally now, because social media was around, but not to the extent it is now when Darvish was really here and then even Tanaka's it seems that he's Otani's gone more viral than Tanaka has even.
0: So I'm I'm curious, uh since you've talked with Ben and Sam uh in early July, what's kind of the update on him? It seems like he's had some injuries. Is that true?
2: Yeah, he came down with a blister on his finger, and so he um, he didn't pitch in the All Star game when he was he was voted into the All Star team as a pitcher, and he didn't pitch, so he won the home run derby. <laughs> then he in the set there's two All Star games here. In the second All Star game, he had a he had a home run in that game, and he also had a couple RBIs. I don't exactly remember right now, but I know I think he had one of the winning RBIs wow. too That's the DH. And, yeah, as the DH, he doesn't. He hasn't played the field since his rookie year. He 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 came up and he was playing right field before they let him pitch on the top team. He would play right field on the top team and pitch for the farm team, but he hasn't played right field. I don't think he's played right field since his rookie year in two thousand thirteen. So yeah, he was the DH. So he hasn't. He actually hasn't pitched since July twenty fourth. Okay, because he, his blister. He's. Dealt with that a little bit, but his form has kind of been thrown off some, so that he, he hasn't pitched, so he's pretty much just been hitting, and he's been hitting really well. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much the update on him right now.
0: Okay. So he throws right-handed and hits left-handed. Uh, do you have any comparisons for, like, the type of pitcher or hitter that he is? I know he throws uh, 100 miles per hour, um, and you kind of mentioned that he'd be more of, like, a doubles hitter than, like, a pure power hitter if he – in the states, but do you have any like comparisons for what his game is like?
2: Wow, it's, it's hard to compare what his game is like. I'm I'm sure there are other people who are better at it than me. I can't really think of anybody right offhand. I'm sure there are some comparisons. I I think just because I don't I don't expect that he would have the power that he has here, but that's not to say he won't hit some home runs if uh-huh. he were in America. I think he'd do fine. I, just, I think he get a lot of extra base hits, but I'm not entirely sure he hit as quite as many home runs. But you know, no one thought he would be able to pitch and hit, and he's doing that, so he could prove me wrong about that if he were to go to America.
0: Is he? Is he pretty similar to Darvish? I know he's he's kind of the most recent um, kind of power pitcher from Japan.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a decent comparison. His form is a bit like Darvish's was when he was in Japan. His his last couple of years, he's got. He's put on a little bit of muscle, the way Darvish did in 2012 before he left Japan, he, and he put on a lot of muscle. He and, and it's weird because his form is a bit like Darvish's, and he's wearing Darvish's old number for Darvish's old team. So those can control. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, his team, the Fighters, uh, just based on my uh, uh, web searching, seem to be doing pretty well. They have uh, it seems like a playoff spot locked up. Is that accurate?
2: Yeah, in the Pacific League, they pretty much have a playoff spot locked up, but as it is now, they're, they're pushing the number. They were 11 games back a few weeks ago, and now they're a half game back. They could have gone in the first place last night, but they lost against the first place team. So they're, they're, they're beyond the playoff spot. They're looking they're thinking, pin it now.
0: So there's, there's 12 teams total, two divisions of or two leagues of six, Did just the top two from each league uh, make the playoffs.
2: Playoff system here is pretty, pretty odd. Um, the top three from each league make the playoffs. Okay. The first stage of the playoffs are the second and third place teams. And that, that's a three game series that's held at the second place team's home park. Then the winner of that goes into the final stage of the climax series, which is a five game series, which is, I'm sorry, more than five games. And it's held at. It's held entirely at the park of the pennant winner and the pennant winner starts that series with an automatic one-game advantage. Wow. So it's winning the pennant is a big deal because you get that first-week bye, although you know that first-week bye can be a double-edged sword because you're not playing while other teams are playing.
0: Yeah, that would be huge. Um, are people kind of like looking forward to watching him on a big stage like that? Like A player like Otani, if he's pitching... He's healthy. He could have a huge impact in a short playoff series.
2: Well, yeah, he could. Um, although he got beat last year when he when he pitched in the playoffs, but everyone, I think, people just like to see him do anything. I mean, when he hits and he pitches, it's always a big deal. So putting him on a, an even bigger stage would make it just an even bigger deal. It was a pretty big deal when he pitched for during the Premier Twelve. For Japan, and he had a really great game against South Korea. And I, I forget the, the final stats, but he struck out a bunch of South Koreans that yeah. day. And, um, it's going to even, it's going to be even bigger, you know, when and if he pitches or hits or both in the World Baseball Classic. I know the manager, Hiroki Kokobo, has said that he's, he's opened Otani hitting and pitching during the World Baseball Classic, but he's got to talk to Nipal Ham about that before, you know, anything gets set.
0: That's awesome. That was actually my next question is for, People back in America, the best chance to see him play uh, is is the World Baseball Classic, which is next spring, right?
2: Right. I mean, he was he was in America this earlier this year. The, the Fighters had their first half of their spring training camp in Arizona, so yeah. there were a lot of um, a lot of fans got a chance to see him, and he was mobbed to the point that they had to get some. Not private security, but some, you know, some security handlers or something to, to yeah. hold the crowds at bay because people were jump running up trying to get autographs and things of that nature. So I imagine it'll be the same or even bigger winning if he does pitch in the WBC and if Japan advances out of, out of the Japanese rounds and makes it to the US round, that would be a pretty, pretty big thing. Cause, you know, Darvis pitched in America at the WBC, Tanaka did, Maeda did. And was already in America when I mean, he pitched for the WBC. But it would be a pretty big stage for him to get on. And it would really, not that his profile needs upping that much, but it would really raise his profile even more in the States.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to, to watching that. Uh, I remember myself as a 22-year-old, I would not take kind of this amount of fame well. Is he a pretty grounded guy, or does he like the attention? What, what's his personality like?
2: He he seems pretty grounded. He doesn't seem to um let a whole lot of things get to him. The media wise, they kind of they try to control him as far as the media, as far as like letting people too many people like have too many requests of him and things like that. Mm-hmm. But um he likes to talk to the media from from what I've heard from the team, so he's pretty easygoing as far as that. He doesn't seem to let anything go to his head. So he seems like a really grounded kid he seems more I mean I, I can't vouch for him personally because I don't know him in his personal life but he seems pretty grounded for a young kid
0: so obviously uh baseball is a huge deal in Japan uh where does it kind of fit in Japanese culture is it like by far the most popular sport um or, or you know are players like Ichiro and Udarvish uh Hideki Matsui are are they like kind of huge celebrities what what's yeah. it kind of fit in and- like
2: he Japan, um Japan baseball is the if you maybe you could call sumo the national sport but baseball is probably the most popular sport okay and if it's not baseball it's sumo all the base baseball players are you know guys like Ichiro Matsui Shigeo Nagashima Sadaharo o, they're you know revered here. well Ichiro is like a rock star oh O, Shigeo Nagashima who are the I, I don't really know what what I, compare them to in the States, but they're revered here, almost like like living legends. And hmm. so baseball players are, are really big stars. Matsui is a huge star, although he's not as public. He's pretty public, but Matsui, keeps kind of a lower profile. I think he tries to. That's probably why he lives in America, because if he was here, he wouldn't be able to walk down the street. And in America, he can sort of do that without, So much. I mean, I'm sure he gets recognized, especially in New York, but maybe in other places he could walk down the street. He's mentioned that before. If he walked down the street here, it'd be chaos. Mm -hmm. Same with Ichiro. Same with Darvish.
0: Yeah. What, um, I've always wondered this. When a guy like leaves to come to the States, is there a stigma around that or how do fans in Japan, are they like excited to see how he does in uh, America or are they upset that he's leaving?
2: It's more excitement now. I, mean, I remember when Tanaka left. We talked to some fans at in Sendai right before the last game of the Japan series, and they were all they were kind of sad, but they were a- eager to see how he was going to do. And I think Japanese take a lot of pride in their stars going abroad to the best league in the world and competing at the best level, competing with the top team. So there's no there's no stigma anymore. There was a stigma when Nomo did it, and he got a lot of negative backlash and things of that nature but um i think in part because of nomo in part because of ichiro japanese feelings toward the major leagues have warmed and so there's no there's no stigma anymore people sort of expect them to go to the states and people are pretty proud of the way they handle themselves in their states so now there's no stigma at all
0: yeah it's really interesting uh two more questions uh First, one is uh, what are some of the differences between baseball in Japan and just, uh, baseball in the U.S.? Uh, I know on the Effectively Wild, you talked about how uh, bunting is a big deal there. And I also noticed on the standings that ties are common. Uh, so I guess those are the couple things that I had questions about.
2: Yeah, the very first game I ever covered in Japan ended up in a tie. It was, actually, it was actually a game with Hugh Darvish. She gave up a grand slam, and then it started raining, and the game ended in a tie.
0: So, is that do they have extra innings or just weather related?
2: Twelve extra innings. You, you play up to twelve. After twelve, and then it's a tie game. In the in the Japan series, it's up to fifteen. Okay. And in the season, twelve innings. And after twelve innings, it's a tie. We actually had a tie in the Japan series. I want to say in 2010, it was between the Chiba Lotte Marines and the Chunichi Dragons. And that game went to a tie, so they came back the next day. And had, I think had Chinichi won, there was a chance that the Japan series could have stretched to an eighth game because they wouldn't let the series end in a tie. Yeah. But, so yeah, tie games are a thing that happened here. And small, bunting, yeah, bunting happens all the time. you know, it's pretty common to see a guy walk, a leadoff man walk or get a hit in the first inning and then the next guy squaring around the bunt. Doesn't happen all the time, but it's not uncommon either. Teams play a lot of small ball here, but there are some power. There's the power element is here, but there are a lot of, a lot of small ball elements in Japanese baseball more so than there are in America.
0: I saw during the all star week, is there like a bunting contest? Is that a thing?
2: No, no, I think they do that in Korea.
0: Okay. Maybe I saw a YouTube video of that.
2: I may not be sure i'm not sure if that's even correct or not i think there's something like that in korea but i don't know but yeah no japan there's the there's the all-star games and there's the home run derby before both and that's it no bunting contest
0: (laughs) not that crazy uh last question just curious what's uh what's your journey uh been like to cover baseball in japan how did you get to where you're at right now
2: There was an ad for Japan Times was looking for someone, so I answered in and they said come to Japan, so I did. (laughs) Where
0: are you from originally?
2: Detroit. I went to school. I graduated from college in Alabama, and I was working in Georgia at the time I left to come to Japan, which was in 2007. And yeah, it's been cool. It's been it's been an interesting journey because there are a lot of cultural differences between baseball in the States and baseball in America, and there's a ton more cultural differences between living in Japan versus living in America. So it's been it's been an interesting ride so far.
0: Will you be over there for a while, or do you want to come back at some point?
2: Seem I'm probably going to be here for a while. I mean, just kind of take it year by year. So, yeah.
0: You'll stay as long as Otani stays. It's your demand. <laughs> sure how long that's going to be <laughs> cool well uh, Jason thanks so much uh, for joining us and uh, we'll make sure to uh, check out your work
2: alright cool thanks for having me
0: thanks to uh, thanks to Jason for that interview yeah I found it really uh, really interesting yeah we'll keep uh, keep monitoring monitoring that and excited to see him play in the world baseball classic uh, next spring and uh, we'll follow that very complicated uh, playoff format uh, as well. Okay, so uh, next on our list today is an interview with uh, our first summer flicks viewer, David uh, from Chicago. So uh, we will interview him right now. Hello, David. Welcome to the podcast for, I think, the fifth time.
3: I'm not keeping track, but uh, if it is the fifth time, each time has been an honor. So thanks for having me on again.
0: Yes, we've come so far since you were on the first time summer flicks for Eddie's Million Dollar Cookoff last summer.
3: Yeah, it's true. Eddie's Million Dollar Cookoff was a good time, and angels in the outfield. Now I think we're we're only improving, so we're definitely trending up.
0: Yeah, uh, Peter shared earlier in the podcast that we've recorded for what fifty-six hours total over the last two years, and I'm pretty confident that you are the only one who's listened to all. 56 hours of our podcast. Or you know, you're, you're at least the closest.
3: I, really, I was going to say, I really think I have. And I, it's not like a conscious thing like, oh, I got to make sure I'm listening to each one. It's just like every week I just listen to it. And it's not. So for the all the all the additional listeners out there, just uh, just make it part of the routine. And you know, then it becomes part
0: of life. Just yeah. like brushing your teeth. Yeah, exactly. If brushing your teeth took an hour and seven minutes, that's what it would be like. <laughs> Maybe that should be a new segment. (laughs) Okay, uh, so let's get into our movie, Angels in the Outfield. uh, One of my favorite all-time movies, you know, not just sports or 90s, but just in general, really enjoy watching the movie. Uh, David, do you also enjoy the movie?
3: I mean, yeah, it's it's a great movie, one that I haven't watched since I was a kid, you know, in my early youth. So there are some parts of it that's like, man, Definitely missed that part. Didn't understand that when I first watched it.
0: Uh,
3: definitely a great baseball movie. I don't know if it's top. I'd have to sit down and go through my own rankings. But is it's, it, it's is definitely Money, top 10. M- Moneyball
0: number one?
3: Moneyball is not number one.
0: Number one, the original Bad News. Oh, uh, yes, I should know that. You always tell me that. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that one. It's a small army, but we're loyal. <laughs> okay, so I've got a few questions for you. The uh, first one uh Angels in the Outfield I think is great because it has so many great characters similar mm-hmm. to The Office. Um there's just a depth of characters that you almost forget about and that's why you can keep watching it and you just kinda forget how, how much you enjoy each character. So uh my question to you and to Paul is uh who are your favorite uh who's your favorite character?
3: Good question. And you're right, you do forget a lot you do forget a lot about a lot of people. Uh one guy I forgot about was Wit Bass, the starter who's two and eleven, who <laughs> thinks it's Jose, can you see in the national anthem? <laughs> and every inning he runs out and slides <laughs> to the pitcher's mound. Yep. Uh he was definitely one that I forgot about. Yeah, he, he's also the guy who thought uh the game starts at one. So uh <laughs>
0: He gets hit in the head he with the bat, a bat, right? legend.
3: Yeah, he gets hit in the head with a bat. Uh he's kind of the the goofball of the of the bunch, but I definitely forgot about him.
0: Paul, do you have a favorite? Yeah, I mean George Knox is my favorite. You can't you can't beat his uh his speeches. Um and it's such a heart I forgot how heartwarming the ending is. I was watching it with uh, Yeah well, with you Peter and Kate, my wife, and uh she was like nearly in tears. I think she was in tears, um when uh when George decides to adopt, um, JP. So any tears, any tears for you, David? No, no
3: tears, but a little dusty. dusty. (laughs) It's not quite when Rudy gets accepted, but, uh, you know, the emotions were, were definitely moved there.
0: All right. Uh, moving off of Paul's uh, comment about George Knox, um, what manager in today's game is most like, uh, George Knox?
3: That's a great question. I don't know. There are a lot of things in the movie that they'd really just breeze by that they don't talk about, but if it happened in real life, like, it'd be a major story. So, like, one of the lines is when we first meet Mel Clark, he gets into a dust-up with George Knox over how back in Cincinnati he, like, got hooked on painkillers or something, (laughs) and then George Knox is like, I wasn't shoving them down your throat. like." That that was just, like, two sentences, and they never addressed it again. But I feel like a manager was like, part of a player getting, like, addicted to prescription painkillers, that would definitely be, like, a career-ending offense.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, how many – Mel Clark, he hadn't pitched for how many years? Five?
3: I don't – I mean, I don't know what the break was, but I, I will say this. So Tony Danza, I don't know if this is really his wheelhouse. His pitching form was pretty good. But in like the really brief, you know, moments that you can see the exit velocity from his arm, those pitches were no, no greater than sixty miles an hour. <laughs> they were, I mean, if if he was real, he'd be getting crushed. Hey, some, when
0: when some he, he has to throw be one hundred and fifty six in a game, then his velocity is <laughs> not going to be great.
3: Yeah, it's a good point. If I knew I was throwing that many, I'd probably uh, mail in a few. But he,
0: this he, is something he feels the mound well, feels his position. Yeah.
3: Yeah, so good. and this is, that was another thing. I was like, I don't know if he really needed to dive for that line drive. It looked like it was probably going to just get to second ground out. Yeah, I was trying to game, think but
0: what type of hit could a pitcher, like, dive for like that. It would have to be, yeah. like, hit off the bat really awkwardly.
3: Yeah, a very slow line drive. Uh, but he's just an athlete. Fields feels his position well. Greg Maddox type, probably.
0: Uh, I, I think it I think it was five years, because I remember tweeting that. That's nuts that the Angels are, like, taking a chance on this guy. You're, like, if a pitcher hadn't yeah. pitched in five years, you know, I wouldn't let him use, like, the hot tub. You know, <laughs> him just, like, <laughs> dipping his arm in, in the hot water. Like, that's how teams rehab guys in the 90s. You make a good point about the Angels uh,
3: roster, and I don't want to nitpick too much, but, like, there's some guys on that team. It's so like Hemmerling, Hemmerling pinch hits for Mitchell, but apparently he hits like 130 or something. Like, I don't know why that guy's in the major leagues if he can't hit and he's a position player. Like, and then the catcher, and this is a this is just a movie stereotype thing, The catcher had to weigh at least 350 <laughs> pounds. <laughs> At least, I mean, and that's just uh, you know you see some of this in like the Sandlot. They always make the chunkier guys play catcher. But if you
0: like, why don't the other teams just bunt? Like that guy cannot move. <laughs> yeah, his, his framing, his framing numbers can't be good. <laughs> yeah, we, we'll need some advanced stats on that. Uh, getting back to my original question, uh, I think Terry Collins has a lot of George Knox in him. Uh, kind of the old school. Pep talk has had some managerial stints previously that didn't go well. Um yeah. gets a lot of criticism. Um I guess last year was kind of like his big moment though when they made the World Series. I could picture Terry Collins adopting some kids. <laughs> it seems to I have a grandfatherly type <laughs> persona. Okay, David, uh just a couple questions left. Ranch Wilder and Hawk Harrelson. Do you you know, give me some similarities and differences?
3: You know, I don't think the real issue here is that Ranch Wilder is paid by the Angels, or I guess you assume that he's paid by the Angels because the owner fires him, and he hates the team. Like, he hates the manager. He's, like, actively wishing them to lose, and he's, like, announcing to their fans like he's rooting against them. Uh, I don't think Hawk would ever do that. Hawk is probably the biggest White Sox homer. On Earth, So I don't I don't know if there are many similarities. I do think that, you know, in Hawk, gets along, I think Hawk gets along with a lot of people, uh, a majority. Ranch Wilder seems like, you know, he's he's flipping the mic over back to himself, <laughs> away from his partner. Uh, I don't think Ranch Wilder gets along with many people. So I don't think there are that many similarities. But uh, back in the day, maybe when Hawk was playing, he had a dust-up with someone where he knocked him out during a photo op after a game. Maybe that happened. I'll have to look into that.
0: Yeah, I think it uh whoever plays Ranch Wilder, that's a pretty underrated acting job. He's great. Oh.
3: Certainly. Great great work by him.
0: Yep. Paul, you got any uh thoughts on that? Uh, I hate Hawk and I hate Ranch Wilder, so that would be a similarity. Um right, see but I can't I can't hate Ranch Wilder. He's got a great radio or I assume he does him for the radio, right? Mhm. Uh, great yeah. Great radio voice. I, w- I would be pretty pumped if a team hired him, that actor, to call their games in kind of the same uh, cynical style.
3: Just be in character as Range Wilder as he's calling games.
0: Maybe we should, like, the next year, the Mets, to just recreate this entire uh, entire movie. That is actually a very uh, important role in baseball movies, the announcer. If you remember Bob Bucher from the Major Leagues, that's one of my favorite. Yep. Yeah. Is there one from Little Big League?
3: Uh, there is an announcer in Little Big League. He's the guy who's like, Jerry is hitting three fifty on Wednesdays, mm-hmm. facing pitchers whose home teams are <laughs> south of the Mason
0: Dixon line, or something like that. That's the only line I remember. What about rookie, but, uh, the, rookie of the Year? It's that famous, uh, famous guy, the fat guy, right? Oh, John, John Candy. John, Can- uh-huh. John. Is that John Candy? Oh man, we just lost a lot of listeners. I, was getting, I get, get my Candy. I get my like obese actors confused. Yeah, who's who's, who's Chris Farley again? <laughs> okay, well, uh, my last question—it's a bit meta, uh, not, you know, in particular this movie. So a lot of the, these baseball movies from the '90s don't end with the team actually winning the World Series. The climax is them making the playoffs, winning the pennant. Uh, in this movie, yeah. in this movie, they beat the White Sox to win the pennant, right, or to make the playoffs? Yeah.
3: No, they say it's to win the pennant.
0: But it's like a one game. I, it's a one game thing. Uh,
3: it's it's very unclear because <laughs> it's like mean, if it was the playoffs, like when we have seen the earlier games. So I'm led to believe that it's regular season, which is why I don't understand the Angels being like, "Oh, we can't, we can't help out tonight." Playoffs.
0: Well, and the, yeah, because they're so confused about the you know the Angels not being there, so it leads me to believe that that's the first game of the playoffs. But they win the pennant right. in like a one-game thing. I know it's '94, so the wild card came like in '95. I think was the first year, um, but it still doesn't make any sense. So I guess my my question is: Why do these baseball movies not end? Why is the climax not them winning the World Series? It seems like an obvious thing.
3: Good question. I think it's... And I think you really only find it with baseball movies. Like, most basketball or football movies end with them winning, mm-hmm. like, the championship. Baseball movies, you don't... I, maybe it's because they're, like, series and they're, like, multiple games. I don't know. I think I've only... Major League might be the only movie that, like, has a series in it. Yeah. Um, But... Yeah, I don't really understand it either. I think – I just don't think we have enough time. I mean, how long is Angels in the outfield? Hour 40, hour 50? Mm-hmm. felt like that. But, like, I don't think people really want to dive into a six- or seven-game series. Yeah. Plus, then you can't have the discussion with the Angels, like how Al is like, oh, playoffs, got to do it on your own. Also, just randomly dropping on a 10-year-old kid – that, like, Mel Clark's
0: going to die soon. <laughs> well, yeah, that... In the
3: middle of the game.
0: The two Nuggets, you find out in, like, a five-minute stretch where he's thrown 156 pitches and he's going <laughs> to die in five months are just, like, amazing.
3: Yeah, it got really... It got real very fast there at the
0: end. I was, I was astounded. I looked up, you know, the most pitches thrown by, by guys. That Maddox, when he was, like, 22, threw, like, 160 pitches in a game. Can you imagine he, if, a, if a manager did that today? He would get fired on the spot.
3: I think at some point, like, the GM would come down, like, walk into the dugout and, like, call the bullpen and then, like, go out to the mound and take him
0: out. Another element to the movie uh, that I noticed this time is the GM isn't there, so I don't know if the... I seems like a Jerry Jones situation where the owner is also the general yeah. manager.
3: I was one, and I think... Was it Paul, you asked this on Twitter, how do we think that the angel's owner made his money?
0: Oh, that, yeah, that was Pete. Don't ask that. Definitely oil, though, I think.
3: Oh, yeah, oil for sure. It's <laughs> a hat. dead giveaway.
0: I think it's the the weird, like, string necktie thing.
3: That's definitely a giveaway, too. All great oil, this is what I learned, all great oil men
0: wear cowboy hats.
3: <laughs> comes with the territory.
0: Well, David, uh, thanks so much for watching with us. You set the bar high for the next two movies. League of Their Own and Sandlot coming up here in the next couple weeks. Uh, thanks for listening and uh, until next time. Alright, sounds good guys. Alright, thanks David. Well, thanks to David uh, for that uh, interview. Thanks for watching with us. We'll be watching another movie, League of Their Own on Monday night, August 22nd, so check that out. We'll be tweeting hashtag SummerFlex. Rolls off the tongue. Absolutely. Okay, bottom of the ninth. First up, say my name.
1: name.
0: I've got a good one this week. Uh, Guido Martini is the name. Uh, He was born in 1913, and he played just a couple of uh, games, actually, with the Philadelphia Athletics uh, in 1935. He made three appearances as a pitcher, allowed 12 earned runs in six innings. So not a great career, but a great name. Guido Martini. uh, It got me thinking about other alcohol-related names. So we have uh, Louis Lager, George Barley, Alan Stout, and my favorite, Tinsley Gin. So last week we did breakfast-themed with Kyle Bearclaw. This week we're going the alcohol route with Guido Martini. Great as always. Next up, my Yahoo answer of the week. Unlike like the past two weeks, I actually have one. So this past week, I saw a tweet from someone that said um, they were thinking about Roberto Clemente because it was his birthday. I think it was Thursday. Uh, so it just got me thinking about Clemente. Um, you know, he obviously played well before Paul and I watched baseball. Uh, but I've always um, just been intrigued by his legacy. He, um, he died in a plane crash in the off season, right after he hit his three thousandth hit, this week's Yahoo Answer uh, tackles that. So the question um, comes from Carl. He says, "Why was Roberto Clemente an important person, and how did he make a difference?" <sighs> the subtitle's a bit humorous. He says, "I've recently, uh, I've recently stumped across a project for my Spanish class. I've been told to research Roberto Clemente." I've checked on Wikipedia, but it only seems to show what he did in his life, but not why he was a major influence to the world. Does anyone know? One route you can go when researching? Yes. Uh, Is Yahoo answers a legitimate uh, source in a paper? (laughs) Maybe he was hoping that they would point into research elsewhere. You can ask Alan Nathan that. Susie replies... Tragically, Roberto Clemente's life ended on December 31st, 1972 in a plane crash while en route to Nicaragua, with relief supplies for earthquake victims. Always the humanitarian, Clemente was on the plane to make sure the clothing, food, and medical supplies weren't stolen, as it happened with previous flights. The rickety plane went down off the coast of San Juan shortly after takeoff, and Roberto's body was never found. For his outstanding athletic civic... Charitable and Humanitarian Contributions, Roberto Clemente was awarded the Congressional Gold Medal by the United States Congress in 1973. So yeah, that that was Susie's answer. Um, yeah, I think Clemente uh, did a lot of good for a lot of people, and um, the way that he died certainly has impacted the way people uh, remember him. Um, great figure and great answer. However, I think all of those facts would be located on his Wikipedia page. It's a bit of an unanswered question. Um, So, yeah. I have a bobblehead of Roberto Clemente that I enjoy quite a bit. I actually had to do a similar project um, in, like, fifth grade, and I picked Clemente. So I think since then I've always um, um, enjoyed learning more about him he would be a good subject for a 30 for thirty someday. Was it uh, Thurman Munson we've also talked about that died in a plane crash mm-hmm. uh, before his career was over? Yeah. Uh, so last thing on the podcast, just an update on the Memorial trade deadline game. Paul, you pulled ahead of me this past week, and it looks like you are going to slaughter me. Um, unless James Shields can turn it around and pitch nine innings every start. You have beat me. LaCroix and Jay Bruce were just too much. Too, drew, too much for me drew Pomerantz as well but he's he's only throwing like four innings to start yeah the number of at bats these guys are racking up are just killing me update on the game that we do every week pick your team um, making up some ground well not so much the Rangers went four and two this week and the Rays and twins uh, went seven and five so I guess a few games but I picked two bad teams so you I think your expectations at the beginning of the week with that would be that I would uh have a have a worse week. Maybe. Maybe slightly worse than I thought. And then the Rays beat the Rangers two out of three this weekend. Hmm. Um so updates, um I am seventy eight and fifty six and Paul you are seventy five and fifty eight. So I'm two games up in the lost column still. Who, uh, who is your team this upcoming week? Uh, I'm going to go two teams, Diamondbacks and Brewers. I want Tigers and Diamondbacks. Hmm. Okay, uh, well, that does it. Like we said, you can check out our Twitter on Monday night when we watch A League of Their Own with our friend Matt from Rochester. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at afootinthebox and check us out online at afootinthebox.com. Send us emails at box at gmail.com and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. As David mentioned earlier, it's just an easy way to always uh, stay connected. It's always in your feed. Uh, And while you're there, you can leave us a review. Paul, do you have anything else before we go and race each other? Nope, just a reminder to keep a foot in the box. We will talk to you next week.
1: Why do you idiots do that after you lost? It's for good luck, man. After fifteen straight losses.
3: I said we find something else to rub. Mark Triskets head. Hey, don't even think about touching me anywhere. Fatty Benz. You know,
1: maybe we should do this before we lose. Slow over, man. Not oh, game. not again! Kind they got the wrong of kind, of kind of salami. Runs nice and play. Hey, I can't play. <laughs> hey, you
2: gotta, you gotta choke up the bear now. How's the, the armor? Arm? I'm just feeling strong. You you no hitters any day now. Oh, bummer no matter who
1: we play we give the game away cause we can't win that would be a sin we even lose the games before they save it maple (laughs) bummer one more loss one more loss which could have been a win You call yourselves professionals. I have never, ever seen a worse group of 25 players. You don't think as a team, you don't play as a team, you don't even lose as a team. You all got your heads so far up your butts, you can't even see the light of day. One more loss and I'll, and I'll do this. each and every one of you. I want you... Here, in uniform at 9 tomorrow. We're going back to work on fundamentals. Fundamentals? On in the
2: middle of the season? I thought the game started at 1. It does start
1: at 1, and you're a jackass. No, I'm a pitcher. You can be a pitcher and a jackass. See, si, it's very common. Oh.